Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So there we were. It was uh, it was Friday night, long, long ago. Carolyn and I were camping, uh, sort of, sort of camping, because you see, we had uh, borrowed her 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 parents' motorhome. Uh, and we'd gone out for the weekend with our two dear friends, Brian and Gina Robertson, which is bizarre to think that these days, you know, Brian and Gina have five kids, Carolyn and I have four. And so the fact that there was a time in history when they had none and we had none, that just, it seems like a very long, long time ago. But anyway, it was Friday night, there was... After dinner, we were playing uh, cards together, and it was a beautiful evening. Good friends, out in nature, laughter, it's a beautiful evening. The only thing, the only thing that could make this any more of a magical evening. Yeah, s'mores. Ah, so Carolyn goes to the food locker cabinet things, you know, pulls out graham crackers, check. Marshmallows, check. Chocolate. Chocolate. No check. No chocolate. Which, you know, something you need to understand about my wife and camping. Uh, you know, some people go for the hiking. Other people go for the mountains. and it, For Carolyn... It's not too far of a stretch to say that Carolyn's favorite part of camping is making s'mores. You know, it's the, the, the fire and the sticks and the, and the gooey marshmallow, the graham cracker and whole. But most of all, most of all, it's, it's really all about the chocolate. Um, so no chocolate at this point is really threatening our experience of shalom at this point in the evening. And it was actually uh, quite a shock because uh, normally when we go camping, we are very, very well prepared. You see, Carolyn is a Girl Scout veteran. She comes from a scouting family. She, her father was a you know, scout master of, of one of the original scout troops in Folsom. You know, this is, uh, you know, so she knows what she's doing. And well, me, of course, you know, well, I'm really good at following orders. So between the two of us, when we go camping, we are usually prepared for everything. I mean, like over-prepared, almost. And it's really kind of the byproduct of growing up in the industrialized West, right? I mean, since in our part of the world, uh, everything is available at our fingertips on demand just a click away, there is this sense in our culture... That we should always be prepared for everything all the time. Like to not be prepared is, well, it's like a moral failure of, of some kind. It's inexcusable. And so we tend to just live always prepared to provide for ourselves and our two best friends. And, well, when we can't, well, it's hard to admit or even come to grips with it. In some ways, it can be hard to forgive ourselves for the travesty. We know that. So, 
Well, in general, we, we just never let it happen. And if by some set of circumstances we do find ourselves unprepared, well, our first instinct, or at least my first instinct, is to say, oh well, you know, it is kind of, you know, my fault. I'm not prepared, so I guess I'll just have to go without. I'll just have to make do. And whether our natural inclination is to always be prepared or to just make do, really neither of these attitudes are that conducive to an effective prayer life, which is what we are talking about, by the way. At least, it's what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 11. Uh, Luke chapter 11 starts uh, in verse 1 with Jesus' disciples coming to him and asking him to teach them how to pray. And, of course, his direct answer in verses 2 through 4 was to run them through what is now known as the Lord's Prayer, equipping them with the kind of words that they can use to communicate with their Heavenly Father. But apparently, in prayer, words are not enough. Because immediately following, Jesus dives into this story that we are looking about today, this parable, this imaginary garden with a real toad somewhere in it. In his story, it's a guy who was actually neither prepared nor willing to just make do. See, once again, as we engage in this example that Jesus is giving us, uh, we have to get over the fact that, once again, this would never happen to us. I mean, a guest is never going to drop in on you unexpected without calling first to give you a chance to prepare for their arrival. But of course, in first century Palestine, in a world with no phones, no hotels, and where hospitality is, in fact, the highest social value operating, this would happen all the time. In fact, it still does in many places around the world. But, you know, even if a guest did show up at your door unexpected, there is a good chance that your cupboards, your refrigerator, is not empty. And if by some unfortunate series of events you have nothing to set before your guest that dropped in on you out of nowhere in the middle of the night without calling first, you most definitely not going to run next door to your neighbor in the middle of the night, bang on their door, and ask them for some bread to offer to your friend that just happened to drop in out of nowhere without calling in the middle of the night. Of course not, right? Safeway is open 24 hours a day. I'm not going to my next door neighbor. If I need something, I'm going there. And even if I don't have any money, I just put it on my credit card and deal with it later. So, this would never happen to us. But in first century Palestine, in this very plausible scenario for them, you would be, in this case, completely dependent on your friend's generosity and how supplied their cupboard was. Completely dependent. 
Now, that's, that's a, condi- a condition which is much more conducive to effective prayer. So I think it's worth, you know, stop right here. And soak that in for a minute. Because, I mean, if, if you look around here this morning, you know, at first glance, we're not what you would call a completely dependent-looking crowd. I mean, just, just look at us here. Uh, you know, we, we are powerful-looking people. We know how to take care of ourselves. At least that's the way we look. We live in a powerful city, in a powerful state, in a powerful country that knows how to affect and manipulate and move power in society. We are a powerful-looking crowd. We are very, very, very ready and willing to help people in need because, of course, we have the means and knowledge to do so. We have organized and managed our lives and the foreseeable future in such a way so as not to be dependent on anything or anybody. And if we do find ourselves in a situation that we're not prepared for, well, we are prepared to deal with the consequences of our irresponsibility ourselves. And this this hardwired disposition in us, in me, it really, really gets in the way of us being able to pray. The good news for us, of course, is that it's not really true. The good news for those of us that struggle with our prayer life is that this whole idea of being independent and self-sufficient is a joke. It's a facade. It's not really true. All it takes is one phone call from your child's teacher. One lump on your body where there didn't used to be one. One slight shift in the economy. One failed counseling session with your spouse. One tilt in public policy. And it's clear. Whether we realize it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, we are, in fact, completely dependent. And you say that's good news? Yes. Yes, that's very good news. Because, you see, we have a friend. And his cupboards are always full. So there we are, Carol and I, Gina and Brian, grand crackers, marshmallows, and no chocolate. And at some point, someone, definitely not, definitely not me, but someone suggested, well, what if we just go ask another campsite for some chocolate and see if they got any to share? And I, you know, just going to be straight honest, uh, here right from the beginning, I thought that this was a terrible idea. This was a ridiculous, this was a dumb idea. First of all, you're going to walk up to someone else's campsite at night, in the dark, unannounced, to people you don't know, confess that you yourself were unprepared for your camping trip, the unforgivable sin amongst the camping community, Ask them to share with you some of their limited 
supply of chocolate. Really, I figured there was a better chance of getting shot than getting chocolate in this scenario. But, lucky for us, we had Brian. Now, for those of you who know my friend Brian Robertson's, you know that he loves this kind of stuff. He lives for these moments. He has a bold, adventurous confidence to him that fully embraces every opportunity to do anything that would be weird or, you know, hopefully inappropriate. Throw some danger into the situation, and he is all in. So when the, the idea of going to another campsite to ask for chocolate comes up, Brian gets this look on his face like somebody just offered Scooby-Doo a Scooby snack. <laughs> and off he goes into the night, armed with absolutely nothing but his charming smile and this conviction, this total conviction that it was completely reasonable for him to go and ask random people at random campsites for some chocolate. Which is what this guy in Jesus' story does, right? I mean, he goes to his friend's house. You know, this, this, this pulpit doesn't really pound, but you can get the idea of what wooden pounding would sound like. And he says, hey, wake up. I need some bread. And here Jesus is being totally realistic about the situation, right? I mean, if you're going to a friend's house in the middle of the night to wake them up and ask them for some bread, you have got to commit to it, right? There's no point in knocking lightly. There is no point to being timid about it. I mean, once you've woken them up, really the least inconvenient thing that you are going to ask them for is some bread. If you're going to ask in the middle of the night, ask expecting that the person is going to get out of bed and give you some bread. I mean, being timid at this point will just be annoying. And I guess, really important here, we probably should address a common misconception in this story. At least it was a misconception for me. You see, uh, growing up when I encountered this parable, and it was in this children's, uh, in this children's Bible, uh, and I can still see the picture. You artists in the community, this is the danger of biblical art, because you can distort a child's perspective of God for the rest of his life. Uh, <laughs> but I can still see the picture. It's dark. It's night. And, and the guy outside is pounding on the door. Inside, the guy has grumpy face. It's the middle of the night. And, you know, listening to the story, I, I would think to myself, okay, well, we're talking about prayer here. And I guess in this formula... I'm the guy with a friend that just came in, which means that the guy being woken up in the middle of the night, well, that must be God. So Jesus is saying here that the guy being woken up really doesn't want to give any bread, but because the guy is so annoying about it, he gives it to him anyway. And so my analytical brain that I have goes to work and says, well, this must mean that God must not really want to answer our prayers. And so the only way that we can get him to answer our prayers is to annoy him with our prayers so much that he just 
has to answer just to shut us up. Which is why it is really important to remember that parables aren't allegories. They're stories. They're stories, the purpose of which isn't, is actually to break down our analytical defenses and awaken our imagination. Because you see, really, Jesus is actually presenting the opposite picture of God. I mean, just look down at verse 11. Jesus says, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, God cares for us. He loves us more than we earthly parents love our children. And if us selfish, unstable, grouchy parents still have this desire in us to give good gifts to our kids. And trust me, when Cody came into my room last night at 2.30 in the morning to wake me up and to tell me that he was afraid and yet still had the gumption to ask me for a glass of water, selfish, unstable, and grouchy would have been the nice way to describe my attitude. And yet, I still got up and got him a glass of water. So how much more does our loving, faithful, very stable, good God want to give us even better gifts? And I know it can be hard to trust that because, of course, by this point in life, we've all had the experience where we did, we did finally get to the point where we acknowledged we were completely dependent and we did go out in the middle of the night and we banged on God's door. But we didn't get what we asked for. And it's tempting to come out of those experiences thinking, well, God must not want to give me good gifts. I must be the exception here. Really, it must just be up to me to secure what I need for myself. And at those times, it is is up, up to us to recognize God's incredible goodness, His incredible wisdom, and His commitment to always secure what is in our best interest, despite the fact that we didn't get that one thing. That one thing that we were sure would have been really, really good to have. Jesus' point in the story is not to say that if we're annoying enough, we can force an unwilling God to to acquiesce to our demands. No, his point is to illustrate the spirit we should have in prayer. You see, prayer is ultimately spiritual. It engages the spiritual realm that is all around us all the time. And therefore, in order to practice prayer, our spirit must be engaged and not just our tongue. An attitude, intent, posture, expectation, all of those are components of our spirit that must be engaged for us to be able to pray. Prayer isn't witchcraft. 
where if we utter the right combination of words, all of a sudden the universe begrudgingly responds to our command. Prayer is not a computer where if we type the right commands in the right order with the right semicolon at the end of the line, then we can get it to do whatever we want. No, prayer is relationship. Relationship between us and the Almighty God who is spirit and must be approached in spirit and in truth, Jesus says. So Jesus here is teaching us to have the same attitude and confidence, the same spirit that you would have going to your very good friend's house in the middle of the night and to ask with such boldness that even if your friend doesn't want to give you any bread, he will still give you bread just to get you off his back. This parable is about attitude, about confidence, about boldness. It's about relationship. It's about need. It's about dependence. It is ultimately about asking, which in the end is the currency on which the kingdom of God operates. Remember last week, we were looking at how Jesus says not to be dreaming about how nice life will be like when we finally have enough money for life to be nice. How we're not supposed to worry or run around postponing life until we have enough barns for all of our grain. That we shouldn't worry about food or clothes or shelters because, Jesus says, our Father in heaven knows that we need all of that. And if you, you know, stayed engaged for the sermon and were here last week, it would have been actually natural to leave wondering, okay, so how exactly does one go about bridging the gap? between the God that knows that we need all this stuff and us actually getting all this stuff. The answer to that, of course, is to ask. Jesus goes on, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, the door will be opened to you for everyone Who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. The answer is to ask. So let me get this straight. So God knows I need the things I need. God has the things I need. God wants to give me everything that I need. But he wants me to ask for it. And not only that, I'm supposed to ask fervently and confidently like a guy who desperately needs some bread for a guest that arrived unexpectedly at midnight. Hmm. It seems to me that the all-knowing, all-powerful God would already know that my friend was on his way and would have gotten me some bread over to me even before I knew it and maybe possibly not in the middle of the night. Why does he need me to ask for this stuff? At least, that's what my logic would say. Of course, in that line of thinking, there are a couple of things, believe it or not, that my logic overlooks. First of all, 
It overlooks the fact that God does, in fact, already do that a lot. I mean, just think for a second about all the things that God gives you and me that you and I need without you and I ever asking for them or even saying thank you once we get them. Just think about it. Do this. Wow, I really worked hard for that breath, didn't I? Some of the stuff that we get, we're even tempted that we got it because we secured it for ourselves. So that's one. The other thing that my logic tends to ignore is, of course, the issue of freedom. Freedom. Ever try to give somebody something that you think they really need, but they didn't ask for? Like, say, oh, advice. How about this? Advice on parenting. You know, like, say you go up to someone after church and say, you know... I've been watching you interact with your children. And well, it seems to me you need some help. So, how about we go out to coffee and I'll give you some pointers. You know, how do you think that's going to go for you? Imagine your in-laws come over for dinner and your mother-in-law brings dinner with her because she already knows that you're going to ruin the meal. And so she figured that she'd help and just come prepared. We have words for people like that. Controlling, overbearing, codependent. And it's not healthy. And that's who God would be if he constantly butted into our business and gave us the things that he thought we needed, whether we asked for them or not. It would not develop the relationship. It would not develop trust. It would not develop collaboration. All of which are very high on God's developmental list for the human race that he so dearly loves. So God respects our freedom. And so he waits for us to ask. Dallas Willard says it this way, Asking is indeed the great law of the spiritual world through which things are accomplished in cooperation with God and yet in harmony with the freedom and worth of every individual. And this is the relationship that Jesus is inviting us into. A relationship where you go and you bang on his door at midnight fully confident that he's not going to turn you away. He's not going to sick the dogs on you or smite you for bothering him in the middle of the night. And we can ask for anything. Like there's nothing that's off the table. Nothing is ridiculous. Nothing is inappropriate to ask for. 
You see, asking is how the kingdom of God works. And, and that's a huge culture shock to us because it's not what we're used to, right? In our culture, we used to money works, money talks. If you want something, you use money to get it. That's why we dream about it so much. We're used to the way things we, you know, the way we get things is that we pay for it. You want something like, oh, say, chocolate for your s'mores? You better go to the store during business hours before you go on your camping trip to pay for it. And if you forget to buy them before you go camping and you try to buy it at the campsite, you know, at the little snack bar that they have at the hostess, oh, you better be ready to pay more for your chocolate. But not in the kingdom of God. In fact, your money is no good in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, you ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For anyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which, of course, sure enough, ten minutes or so after Brian disappeared into the dark, quiet night on his quest to find chocolate, he returns with his trademark Brian Robertson grin and a bag full of Hershey chocolate bars. You see, apparently a couple of campsites away, there was a family who had already had their s'mores for the night and were leaving the next day and had a whole bunch of chocolate bars that they no longer needed. And so we sat down and we were able to cap off the perfect night of laughter and friendship and cars and nature and s'mores. Not because we thought ahead and were fully prepared, not because we had enough money to pry some chocolate out of some little kid's hands, but because we, well, at least Brian, had the boldness to ask. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? So, Father, we ask. We ask that you would break us out of our self-sufficiency. That you would break us out of our power, money, structure thing. That we have what we need because we can purchase it for ourselves. And bring us into the kingdom of the ask. You are so good to us and we have so many things that we don't even ask for and, and so many things that we take for granted. God, do not let us live with the impression that we somehow have earned what we have or somehow uh, paid for what we have or somehow just fallen into it. 
by coincidence. Give us to see that every good and perfect thing that we enjoy comes from you. We would come to know you as our good Father who loves to give good gifts to his children whenever they ask. Pray in Jesus' name.